Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I can understand why Brad doesn't want to sit in this spot like right next to the Christmas tree, which is a decidedly small one, but it's bigger than him. It must make him feel... I'm surprised fine. you don't mandate that you need to sit in that seat when it comes to December so that you can be as close to it as humanly possible. As festive as I can. And as I learned that you've changed your doorbell to be a Christmas jingle, <laughs> which makes me want to die inside. Part of me as we were doing that was like, oh, this is festive and fun. And I didn't think twice about it. And then another part of me as I was doing that was like, the only people who are going to notice this are like the odd visitor that we'll get over the holidays. And then Brad and Evan, because they ring the doorbell every time. And I, I knew that your eyeballs were going to roll through the back of your skull. We Our Christmas tree is now up, but we do not have any lights up outside, and I don't even know where to put them, and they're not going on my roof. It's because, December 17th. There's no point now. Oh, okay, perfect. Then uh, we're not putting up <laughs> Christmas lights this year. Is Catherine actually going to make you do it at this point? Oh, no. Oh, I was going to say. She said, she's like, we should put something in like the bushes out front. I was like, oh, that's I was easy. Like, You're I was like, go around. right ahead. I was like, here's all the power cords. Here's all the stuff. <laughs> You get out there Saturday morning, you string those bad boys up, and I'll be right there to to cheer you on. Yeah, moral support. No, end of the day, we don't have any lights up. So, <laughs> yes, I'm glad you love Christmas as much as you do. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are going to talk about Detroit Red Wings hockey today. Uh, this is a Bradless episode. He said he's away. I think Mika had a bunch of hockey tournaments out of town, and it was just going to be some insane scheduling. So we were like, take the day off. But we think he's actually going to get a consultation for uh, shin extensions. But don't tell him we told you that. Yeah, that's the uh, the one few days of the year you can actually get the ring into Mordor. So uh, he decided <laughs> today was the day. Welcome to the show. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to talk to you about a couple thrilling Detroit Red Wings games. And oh man, is it December in the D right now, and not in a good way. Uh, we'll of course be talking about Detroit's 2-1 loss to Carolina, as well as their one nothing loss, what year is it, to the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll talk about another terrible December coming into Hockey Town. Uh, some updates on Detroit's roster. Lyon left the game hurt. Bergeron went back down from his emergency call-up. Uh, we'll be doing some check-ins on some players who have some narratives surrounding them right now. Patrick Kane, obviously. Andrew Kopp's a recent one. Uh, some injury updates between Comfer, Costin, Larkin, etc. And then a suspension appeal update for Perron. And then we'll get into some NHL news, some standings updates, some playoff outlook, and more before overtime. Before all that, I first want to let you know, this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by Labatt Blue Light. Created in 1983, this premium light Canadian Pilsner is a delicately balanced beer brewed with Cascade hops and a blend of malt. It's fresh, crisp, and brewed to the highest quality standards. There's a little bit of Canadian kindness in every sip of Labatt Blue Light. How did it get in there? They're Canadian. That's how. You can spread the love yourself by sharing a Labatt. And when you do share a Labatt, you're not just sharing a beer. You're sharing an experience that'll pair with anything from hockey to a hoedown, which I think is similar to what Evan's dressed for right now. So next time you're watching a hockey with your buds, be sure to share a Labatt because while you might not all root for the same team, although we on this podcast do hope you're rooting for the Red Wings, you can all enjoy a Labatt Blue Light. 
We honestly love going to games in Detroit and seeing Labatt being the beer that fans clamor for all over the arena. It's a reliable beer and great to have in your hand when celebrating a goal. So head to the link in the description of this episode or the one you see on your screen to find Labatt in stores near you today. You must be 21 or older and as always, enjoy responsibly. You'll also notice that instead of a third host, we have the Labatt Blue Light sweater on the chair in Brad's place. So it's a lot more agreeable for most of the listeners, I'd say, this episode. Also, very quickly before we jump in, Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins. I've said it before, but I, I mean it this time. I don't think there's going to be any more tickets released. Uh, the last time I checked, we were 10 tickets left. Saturday, January 27th. It is the same as our Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, but we are taking the show to Grand Rapids. It's a pregame live recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast featuring head coach Dan Watson and other Grand Rapids Griffins players, as well as us, the host of the Winged Wheel Podcast. The tickets also come, if you choose, with custom special edition Winged Wheel Podcast Grand Rapids Griffins co-branded hats. The only way to get them is to get the tickets to the event, so it's very exclusive. We actually can only get our hands on uh, just a few as well, so they truly are special edition. I would say maybe five to ten tickets remain, so griffinshockey.com slash WWP if you want to get your tickets. We're really, really looking forward to it. It's also something to look forward to in the new year. You talk about the holidays, Evan. It's kind of a bummer once the holidays are over, but it's still like really bleak, crummy weather, so something to look forward to in January. I was just looking up the Grand Rapids Griffin schedule as well, and it looks like Saturday, January 27th is also Adult Flying Toasters jersey giveaway. They, they look outrageous. Those jerseys are hysterical. The moment I saw them, I was like, Evan's going to lose his mind for these. Yeah, those. <laughs> <laughs> the AHL is so cool. It is. Way cooler stuff. They they go, they have so much fun with their jerseys. I think it's a blast. And also for someone who's not really like a jersey aficionado like you, like you don't geek over them like me and Brad do a lot of the times. You love the special edition AHL jerseys. Yeah, because they take risks and do interesting stuff. And this night is, other than, you know, Wing Wheel Podcast Night, it's what could have been night, and that's the jersey. And I'm very interested if there's any Grand Rapids Griffins history buffs who know why they'd be calling it what could have been night. Also, if anyone really loves Evan and wants to get him the best gift of all time, I'm sure he would sell me and Brad down the river for one of their old Jurassic Park jerseys. That is without a question, yes. Anyhow, we're looking forward to seeing everyone there. Okay, let me just summarize the Red Wings' last two games before we talk about them. Uh, the last time we spoke since then, I should say, they had a game at home against Carolina. and That was a 2-1 loss, low-scoring game. We'll talk about it more in a second, but Vili Husso, one of his best... I have to get Huso out of my head because that's all I heard. I know. Oh, my goodness. Vili Huso had one of his best games of the year and also... You know, the, the game-winning goal for Carolina came off his stick pretty much. And then a one nothing loss to Philly on Saturday. And if you are hearing that and saying, oh, that, those sound like two dull games, like rather boring games where not much happened, you'd be correct. Especially if you're a Red Wings fan. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with the Carolina game where Brad on a recent episode, he said, you know, you ever watch a Red Wings game or a hockey game sometimes and you just dissociate for a while and all of a sudden you come to and it's a third period and nothing has changed. The shots have barely gone up and, you know, the, the score hasn't changed at all. It was very much how it seemed in that Carolina game. The 2-1 loss, it was it's a double-edged sword because I think that was Vili Husso's best game of the year. I think he made 37 saves on 39 shots, but... 
for the winning goal, the, the puck came in and Huso missed stopping it before it could hit the end boards. It bounced back. He missed it again. And then it got banged in Hall with some weak defending as well, which I don't think was talked about as much as Huso's mess up. But it was his mistake and that went in. But other than that, that was an unreal game by him. And then Detroit's goal was a wicked shot by Michael Rasmussen who went short side. And he shot that and everyone was like, holy, Michael Rasmussen has that in the bank. We were excited for a second. That was Cop. Beargren got the assist on that. Three points in three games, but no, almost nothing else happened. Yeah, I do feel bad for uh, Huso. Huso, <laughs> um, Valeno. Yeah, please. I, f- I do feel bad for Huso because Kochekov made a very similar play only a moment earlier. Yeah. And in you know typical Red Wings fashion, that gets saved, and then it happens to the Red Wings, who then gets scored on. So... A very strange series of events that led to the the actual game-winning goal. I don't know what you say about this game, but it was so boring to watch. You know, I hope everyone who bought tickets enjoyed their time, enjoyed the <laughs> LCA and the, the in-game experience. The Red Wings do a great job doing that. Michael Rasmussen could have hit a beach ball where he put that puck, but man, was that a rip. It's just not a good game. And, you know, the over... I'll, I'll let you talk about the next game before I sort of go into my overarching thoughts of where the Red Wings are at because I'm sure a lot of us are all on the same page. But let's talk about Philly. Yeah, the Philly game was a one nothing loss. And nothing happened. Detroit is a team... A lot of it through no fault of their own. A lot of it they need to find a way to come together because these kinds of things just happen. But Detroit is a team that's out of sorts. After the Carolina game, I said, just one of those games. Kind of the style of game Carolina plays. They're a good team. Detroit was mightily depleted. They didn't even have Comfort and Costin back for that game. Obviously, no Larkin either. So it was tough to sell the idea of, oh, yeah, Detroit's going to come in and blow the doors off. They've been scoring a lot lately, yes, but that couldn't stay up forever. So one goal across two games is about as bad as it can get for Detroit and they also got shut out like by a goalie Airson. Like no one knew who he was before that game. For the Red Wings, the highlight was or I should say low light was Alex Lyon leaving the game for an undisclosed reason. You speculated, Evan, that it might have been like an oblique strain or something. That's where he's grabbing sort of in the side, you know, right below the ribs kind of. So it seemed like an oblique strain. He really kind of just Tried to reach back the other way on a play, and it looked very innocent. So I was surprised he was hurt. But you know, you tw- people guys could tweak stuff all the time, just with very innocent looking plays. Yeah, he made thirteen saves off fourteen shots. Huso came in and was perfect. Fourteen more saves wasn't enough. Which you know, for all the the talk we've had about goaltending recently, that was as much as you can hope for. So everything we've complained about the goaltending, yet the Red Wings are scoring. Just flip the conversation around and that's how we can feel about the past two games goaltending very i don't want to say very good but well for the past two games extremely good yeah good except for one boneheaded moment but yeah and that's gonna happen from time to time like i wouldn't say either game were the goalie's fault i thought Huso made some big big saves to keep the red wings in both of those games it's just you got to get the milk carton out to find alex the brinket right now he's got (laughs) i I saw something 
someone say he has two goals in the last 30 days or the last month. And I said, there's no possible way that that is true. He has two goals in the last 30 days. You bring in a guy like Alex Dabrinkit to fill in the gaps at times like this. You're not saying he should be scoring every game. You can't bank on him being a 50-goal scorer or anything like that. He's just under pace for 40 right now. Which, at the end of the season, would be great. He's not going to stick. There's going to be some cold streaks. It's just so poorly timed at the moment. And the cold, a month cold streak. And it's not like there was an all-star break in between or the Christmas break or something like that. Like, the Red Wings are very much in the heat of the season, the early season right now. There's, that's... That's like eight go- eight games, maybe ten games, and only two goals. That I would prefer the consistency over the streakiness. Yeah, that's sort of what you get with a lot of the elite goal scorers in the NHL. And he's not the only person who I'm asking where where they are. I think a lot of people right now, with the lack of finishing, are asking where a lot of players are because I'm not seeing a lot of urgency in at least the past two games that would indicate the Red Wings are trying to play for or be part of the playoff race. Before we talk about, you know, the Red Wings offense and where the team's at, you want to know what's really upsetting about those two games? Some of it is, yeah, you get good goaltending and all of a sudden you can't score. Like, what, what shit timing? Like, why can't you win that game 5-2 or 5-1? Mm-hmm. That's part of it. And you feel bad for the goalies. But also, the two game-winning goals were both off of either own goals or mistakes. Like, the Huso mistake and, and Hall essentially just let it get tapped in against Carolina. And then against Philly... The puck was centered, and JT Comfort put it in his own net. Yeah, it's just it was one a of hell those... of a tip. Yeah, hell of a finish. Actually, I I shouldn't be complaining as much as I am. That was a great finish. <laughs> we're, we're both defensemen. You always have that fear in front that you just like reactionary put it in, and it's happened a few times in NHL history. I've never done it, thankfully. I have seen once a defenseman score on his own net in overtime in a championship. We were watching a game before one of our playoff games. We were watching like a house league championship game. And this guy fired the puck into his own net when he was trying to ring it. I don't know what I've, he was trying yeah, to do. Yeah, I've seen that before. You know, you've seen that very rarely in professional leagues. You see it off the pucks off skates all the time going to the net. But man, was that a clinical tip by yeah. uh, Comfort? By Comfort, yeah. And it was, yeah, like we were both goals, both game winning goals in games where your goalies do everything for you pretty much. You're going to let it go in that way. Anyways. I thought I was like, wow, I can't believe Kachuri buried that. That was a great finish. I don't know how that <laughs> pass got through. Well, it didn't get through. No, that's just an elite, <laughs> elite mind mind bend there from Kachuri. Yeah, I'm of a couple minds. One is you can't panic and declare the season dead and say, oh, the Red Wings are in the dirt because they had a couple rough games. And you know, the stretch here has been pretty rough. I know last episode I tried to kind of make it seem not so bad because oh, they're. You know, 6-3-1 in their last 10, whatever. That's obviously worse now. They're in a rough stretch. I don't think their offense is in the dirt like some people are making it out to be. But you're not wrong, Evan. Like, this is... Like, those two games are indicative of a smaller problem that the Red Wings need to work on, which is if you're missing guys like Larkin and Comfer, and Comfer even came back for the, the Philly game. Him and Costin came in. You do need to be able to find that offense and lean on the Canes, the Raymonds, the DeBrinkets to come in and provide something. The team right now looks, I mentioned before, they look out of sorts. Some people are trying to drive a narrative, and and we'll talk more about it later, that that's a Patrick Kane thing. I don't buy that. I think it's a Larkin is just the absolute centerpiece of this team, and when he's out, they're 
they're almost wayward. They're, they're directionless at points. Yeah, I mean, people are going to point towards Patrick Kane, and I think, what, he's played six games now. He's got two points. If anybody, and I'm not coming to defend Patrick Kane here, but if anyone thought he was going to be a point-per-game player or above at this point, only six games in and hasn't played since May after major surgery, you got to be kidding yourself. Patrick Kane's looked Decent. Yeah. He's had a lot of chances. The counting stats just aren't there. I, I actually, you know, okay, Patrick Kane is not a defensive stalwart by any means, and that is extremely obvious. But when he's in the offensive zone, he is generating, I would say, almost as much as the best players on the Red Wings right now. So it it will come with Patrick Kane, and he's not the type of guy who will die from a cold streak. The, every. Nobody's sco- nobody scored in the past two games except for Michael Rasmussen. It's it's on everyone to to up their game when their star player is out. Also, like he wasn't playing NHL hockey for a long time after major surgery relative to to professional sports terms. So yeah. you don't if you have a minor injury before your preseason starts and you can't play in the preseason and you miss some of training camp and you miss the first few games. You are noticeably worse than your teammates come like November. Oh yeah, and he was out for a long time. You can train, you can stay in shape, you can have the best nutritionists, the best trainers, you can skate with NHL teams or junior teams to keep yourself in game shape. But the reality is, unless you were in the throes of an NHL season with the team, traveling with them, eating with them, training with them, your musculature is not going to be the same. Your conditioning is not going to be the same. You're going to be rusty in terms of decision making. Hockey is a, a physical sport and a mental sport. There are times where you watch him and you're like, oh, he doesn't not, he has no oomph behind that shot. I know I mentioned this last episode. And you have to understand, like, things are just going to, it's going to take time to come together. So, like you said, you can criticize Patrick Kane for a lot of things, but to extrapolate from this very tiny sample size onto what the entire season is going to be, I just think that's a fool's errand. I think you're, watch the game. Watch the the those micro points of the game, like you said, Evan, where he has a puck and a stick in the offensive zone. You can understand why he has a hype around him that he does, even in his you know later years. He's a he's a different kind of player. He's like a couple bounces himself away from having a few more finishes and a few more goals. Yeah, and he's a couple better finishes on the passes he makes to teammates that have been yeah. like. Yeah, pretty much, you know, Christmas morning. Like he's th- he's Santa Claus coming down the chimney, giving everybody gifts, and some guys just whiff on them or double clutch, and the goalie is able to get over and make a save. I can think of a quite a few of those already, where you're like, if this was a primo goal scorer on the other end, that thing's in the back of the net nine times out of ten. We've seen this before. The Red Wings, because they've been bad for so long, they don't necessarily know how to play with star players the best. Oh, and they're getting a pass that should never, would never in a million years get through, but yeah. because they've got a guy who's got the elite playmaking ability that Patrick Kane does, the puck gets there, and they're like, <laughs> oh. oh my God. <laughs> I was just coming down here to make it look like I was involved. <laughs> I've never, we've never made it this far before. No, we haven't. We definitely haven't. So, you know, and it's getting used to new guys. Patrick Kane's coming into a lineup that's, already established itself, has a locker room presence and sort of uh, how the team goes about their business. Like, he's getting acclimatized to that. The players are getting acclimatized to that. So people are going to hang their hat on, you know, it being Patrick Kane's fault that they're uh, as bad as they are since he's uh, joined the team. Then you're an idiot. (laughs) 
it's the the team it's it's everyone together we open by saying to brink it but it's not just to brink it you know like it's not just to brink it it's not just okay oh, needs time to warm up it's not just larkin being out although i that's obviously the focal point <laughs> it's the team all together and i want to be careful to say it's not an excuse it's not like oh larkin's out and so they can lose all of december and you can't criticize them no like this is a theme we've talked about this every december annually if you want to be a good team it's about rallying around and stepping up when things like this happen, because they're going to happen over the course of a season. You don't have to win as many games as you did when you had Larkin in, but you need to be able to not just crater so that you have an impossible hole to dig yourself out of once he's healthy. Winning culture survives these types of droughts and low points of the season because they've built a winning culture. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. The Red Wings are also missing David Perron due to the, the suspension that's likely being upheld at this point. With I think they're missing him as well. Like he provides a lot of puck possession time and a lot of veteran leadership. Like having both of those guys out and now Comfort back, it's been very difficult. You can you can see that they're kind of looking around, seeing who's going to lead the charge through this, and nobody seems to have really put their hand up right now. No. The good news is Dylan Larkin was back practicing with a non-contact yep. jersey, so really positive to see him moving around on the ice. They're being cautious with him, of course. They said the earliest he could come back is this week, so they they said, you know, maybe if things go extremely well early this week, but I would say don't hold your breath on that. It's better to play these things safe. We've seen Dylan Larkin play hurt for about every year since he's been on Detroit, and you don't want that to kind of linger all year. We've seen the effects of that, so. The sooner they can get him back, the better, yes. But, of course, you, you also want to make sure that he can come back and stay in the lineup and, you know, make a difference because to extend the injury would be worse in my mind. So Detroit's got Anaheim on Monday, which would, you know, be the ideal time to come back in the lineup, but probably too soon. Then Detroit has the Jet, the Central Division-leading Jets, like everyone uh, As we predicted. predicted, yeah. They have them Wednesday, which probably isn't the right time to bring Dylan Larkin back. Hey, if he wants to, by all means, you don't say no to Dylan Larkin. And then they follow up with back-to-back Flyers on Friday, uh, Devils on Saturday. That would be where I would want to inject him in if he's ready to go because the Red Wings right now cannot play it back-to-back from the looks of it. So him getting in around that time frame would make a lot of sense if he's ready. So that was the Red Wings... Past two games, Evan just mentioned their uh, their upcoming schedule. Just as a, we'll we'll remind you at the end of the show, but just as a reminder, what our holiday schedule is, we're going to be with you after the Jets game. So it's a Thursday midweek, and then we are off for Christmas break. We are going to be back on December twenty eighth, so twenty first, and then the twenty eighth is our next episode. So it'll be the Philly game, the New Jersey game, and then Minnesota game on the twenty seventh, and we're back with you on the twenty eighth. Some more Red Wings updates. We mentioned Peron. You know, last episode, I guess I put my foot in my mouth and I expected too much from the NHL. Typically, what I expect and what I've seen in the past is that whenever there's an appeal, they, you know, use the schedule and fit in what they can uh, to have the appeal heard in a reasonable time, especially Piranha suspended for six games. So that's a lot of actual calendar days to hear the appeal. Helene St. James reported that Derek Lalone indicated that Peron has his hearing for six-game suspension before the last game, which is next Wednesday, which sounds like the Wings expect Perron will serve at least five games. That, to me, is is Bush League. I, I, I'm i sorry, there's no other way to say it. I'm not saying, oh, you know, Perron did nothing wrong and 
his his suspension has to be reduced. But if your commissioner has to hear the appeal first before it goes to a third party arbiter, make the time. And if you can't make the time because you're too busy, then you have to have someone stand in. Like that is just you're either being petty. What is this? The government? <laughs> oh God! Well, they're right on schedule then. Yeah, they're either being petty or disorganized. And knowing the NHL, it's probably both. Uh, that to me is so stupid. Yeah, and I get that if he, if he still has his suspension reduced, then he'll get the, the compensation back for... for yeah, the Red Wings need players right now. Yeah. Happy for Braun that he gets his money back. We were joking before the show, Evan. You're like, oh, that's, that's a dream. dream. That's a dream. Get paid for the games. You don't have to play them. But the yeah, the Red Wings need the help. Uh, anyways, that, that to me was stupid, but just an update. Very on brand. Very yeah. on brand for the NHL. Jonathan Bergeron, before the Philly game was sent back down because Costin and Confer came back in and Bergeron was up on an emergency recall, so he went back down. He did what he could in his three games. You know, Yeah, he did what he had to do. Someone sent me a note, you know, Bergeron, it's not a secret what he feels about uh, whether or not he should be on the roster. I'm not saying he has a bad attitude about it or anything, so don't misconstrue it at all, but very much like he knows he's a player who's good enough to be on an NHL roster and he's he's really keen on on staying on Detroit. So it's one you have to watch now that his name has kind of gotten out there, true or not, the, the narratives are out there. He's a player who better this year, I think, than than previous, end of the previous season, and definitely what you saw at the start of the season. So the three points in three games, it's you're not going to hang a banner for that, but did what you can expect in terms of counting stats. I, obviously, there's way more to a game. They wanted to play a more complete game and is that the kind of player he is? We talked a lot about it last episode, but the the Bergeron conversation is going to be one that's probably going to be overblown, admittedly, but one that's going to be one of the focal points for the Red Wings throughout the season. Yeah, he did exactly what he needed to do, and it's not like if he had six points in three games. It's not like he's called up immediately kind of thing. Like this, He was going back down regardless because of the emergency call-up uh, nature I do feel for him for sure. I I certainly believe he's a middle six forward on the Detroit Red Wings. It's you know figuring out how he fits as sort of the puzzle piece to the picture that are the Detroit Red Wings. So Detroit Red Wings want to play this big body presence, in your face, a high grind, high compete. You know, Bergeron isn't quite that mold. Like he'll put up points like we saw last year and in this brief stint this year, but. He's not the kind of guy who's out there throwing the body around. He he looks like your little brother when you're when yeah. you see him standing out there sometimes. Like he's not a big guy at all. He doesn't play that in your face style. You kind of find him behind like he kind of just like sneaks in behind the defense from time to time. He's like a I don't even know how to describe his game in, in that regard. He can just find the soft spots and he's just kind of there and Johnny on the spot. He's not uh, driving the forecheck heavily like that. He doesn't play a heavy game. So that's the way the Red Wings are going. They're going to have to figure out what the heck to do with Bergeron because that really doesn't fit their MO. I I would preach patience with him in terms of, you know, if you decide to move on from him, which I wouldn't like to see. I'd like to see Bergeron stay long term. Understandable, the player and the team have to both be in agreement on that. and, And that could be tough for a guy like him who feels like he's ready I just don't want him moved out for nothing because I think, yes, our, our small, productive, offensive-minded wingers, one of the easier holes to fill in the league. Yeah, I, I do think so, but you still have him, right? So if you're going to move him, get an asset or it's painful now, but wait it out and then maybe something shakes out on the roster and all of a sudden he grows a little bit more. He gets better at transporting the puck down the ice or 
or, or being part of uh, the, his first half of the ice, I should say, from his net up until the red line, and then they appreciate his play and, and where he fits into the team. But for me, it's that one is not the one I'm banging the table over. That's still Simon Edvinson to me. Oh, yeah, that, that goes without a doubt, especially over the last two games. There's the sense of urgency from the back end to move the puck up and you know create plays and drive some offense. It's almost non-existent outside. I would... I'd be willing to hang my hat on saying outside of Gosses Bear at this point because I haven't seen a whole lot of Wallman that I've liked recently at either end of the ice. And even Gosses Bear had that whiff at the end of the Philly game. And- he had two absolute strikeouts, and one should have just been a great pass over to Patrick Kane, who was wide open and yeah. would have been a primo opportunity. December's, man. Like, Not good. What is it? Every December, Detroit has a hot, like after Detroit has a hot start, they hit December and sometimes they start to play bad and that's happened in the past, but more often than not is it's spurred by the Red Wings just getting hurt and all the injury trouble comes in all at once. And it's like, I I don't want to say it's no fault of their own because they still have an opportunity. If you're getting three goals scored against you in two games, you should win both of those games, plain and simple in modern NHL. If you don't, then it's your fault. But they have this this injury trouble and it all seems to pile up every December and it's just such a bummer. Like you go into the holiday break slumping and the month is only half over so they could recover, but it's just, we have April in the D and that's a, a joke for Detroit sports and like a, a running joke because of that song and it's all fun and good vibes. And you think about when the Tigers used to make the playoffs, but December in the D is just hockey town injured and all of the good work seems to be slowly coming unraveled. I don't want to be dramatic, but it's like, it's like clockwork at this point. You expect it. Well, the the whole point of the season is to ramp yourself up and fix problems and resolve your lineup issues before playoffs. And Red Wings are certainly going the wrong direction right now where a lot of teams are starting to go the other. Like after, so these two games are huge because now Philly's three points of Detroit, although they're in, a, in the Metro, you know, Carolina's now tied with Detroit in the wild card. Then you've got New Jersey with two games in hand in a point back in the wild card. And Tampa Bay, who's played two more games a point back, you know, that's a little bit different and have been just about as bad as Detroit in the last 10. So it's not a huge thing, but a lot of teams are starting to figure it out. And the Red Wings are, you know, one New Jersey win away from being on the outside looking in. Looking at the wild card standings, the only team that's out of range in my mind in it could turn around because it's so early because they've played five. Actually, there's no team that's out of range. I would even put Ottawa all the way at the bottom of the East because they've played five fewer games. You know, things could change and they could be in the mix. I don't think anyone in the East is is out of this. You look at the, the rosters and you might say, oh, yeah, Ottawa is definitely out of range. Columbus is definitely out of range, whatever. But let's say Ottawa fires DJ Smith and they go on a new coach heater. All of a sudden, they're back in the mix. Like, you don't want to write off a season right now. Detroit... Through all this is still, after being 4-5-1 and one in their last 10, some tough losses, they're still in a wild card spot, yeah. But, you know, this is when you need to make sure that you're salvaging points, stacking points, when you're going through the injuries. Everyone's healthy at the start of the year. Yes, it's great to be hot at that point, but you don't want to throw your season away in December. And January is tough too. Like, you get through that stretch and then all of a sudden you're approaching the trade deadline. Then you have an image of what your team is and what your GM can do for you and what you've earned as a lineup. Like Detroit's still very much in the driver's seat of their own destiny here. I'm not writing off their playoff chances by any means, so don't take this that way. 
But yeah, you're right. Like these are very, very important games that they just played and even more important games ahead. Like I'm looking at the rest of the month and they're almost fortunate to have some Western Conference games in there because if they drop those and that's a different story. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, you've at one once we turn the calendar into 2024, the Red Wings have to be well above 500 in playing the Atlantic teams and the Metro teams. If you think you're going to be a wild card team, that brings the Metro into play. And yeah. you've got to be better than some of the teams who are on the outside looking in there. And the teams behind them think they're playoff teams. Pittsburgh thinks they're a playoff team. Tampa Bay still thinks they are a playoff team. Oh, yeah. New Jersey Devils sh- should be one of the best teams in the league. So there's only room for so many teams to make it. And the Red Wings got to prove and beat the teams in the in the Eastern Conference to, to prove that they belong. And I keep looking at Buffalo and Ottawa. Like, poor starts the season. But based on their lineups and what people expected from them, they should be doing better. I'm not saying they deserve to be above Detroit. No, Detroit absolutely is the best of those three teams this season, regardless of results between, you know, Detroit and uh, Buffalo or Detroit and Ottawa. But Buffalo and Ottawa are two teams that should be better. At any point, I'm expecting one or both of them to turn it on to some degree. Mm -hmm. Then you really start to feel the heat. All this to say, December sucks for Detroit. It seems to always suck. I hope that the last 14 days of the month, which is... Again, I said the last episode, quite a few games. You rattled it off, Evan. It's four, six, seven games before the end of 2023. If Detroit can turn it around and have a really strong December and salvage quite a few points there, that would be key for them. Yeah. it's uh, Everybody's kind of ramping up right now. And like we said, there's only a few uh, real tire fires in the uh, Eastern Conference right now. Everybody else is kind of fair game if they can catch some heat. So... The Red Wings really got to work hard yeah. in the last few few weeks of 2023 to really make my confidence go back up. All right. So that is the Red Wings, the playoff standing, so to speak. One thing I want to mention, it's been floating around a little bit, and I want to get your perspective on it, Evan. You know, the focus this year in terms of, oh, which Red Wing isn't living up to his contract. Last year with Sherratt, obviously he's been playing way better this year and, and turning things around where you don't really pay attention to his contract anymore. It doesn't seem so bad. And I think they've really figured out, you know, how to use Sherratt as a player, how they're deploying him. It's a lot more. They've given up on trying to pair him on the top line and put him in with, you know, for the to eat the toughest minutes, I should say. Now it's Andrew Kopp. You know, we said at the start of the season, and I know Brad's really pointed about this, and I think he's right. Andrew Kopp, the term and the dollars that he was signed to, you can't have him be like a 30-point player. You need him to be contributing as, you know, a top six player. And I think the defense and the penalty killing has been there this year, but Andrew Kopp not necessarily showing up every night and offensively, and you're seeing some of the, I don't want to say mistakes creep in, but he's just not looking like a player that's necessarily what you think of when you look at his contract. And I think that's all fair. I agree. I watch Cop and I say, I really expected more from him at this point in the season. You know, last year he had the core surgery and recovery from that before he kind of bounced back watching him play on the ice. He looked a little bit more comfortable, but this year you're like, there's no excuses. And it's just not been there completely. My take on it now, though, is that it's become a little bit overblown in my mind. Like, I get it's tough to lose games like this and you want to find one scapegoat. But I struggle to say, yeah, Andrew Kopp is definitively, like, absolutely the biggest problem. He should be playing better, but I think 
we sometimes lose the narrative a little bit and we're so quick to throw it in either extreme. Like, oh, Valeno's doing amazing. Goss Despair is doing amazing. Larkin's doing amazing. All the way to one side of the scale and Cop's doing terrible and Huso's doing terrible and whoever's doing terrible all the way to the other side. We have side. two bins. Yeah. The really good and the really bad. He's existing to me in the gray area right now. And I, I think there's a li- it's a little too heavy on him right now in terms of what the narrative is is saying. But maybe I'm just soft. You no, know, I, I would agree. Like, he's a half a point per game at this point in the season. Uh, I, for me, it's what are people's expectations? If you, t- if you want to tell me that Andrew Kopp is a 60, 70 point guy, yeah, you're probably a little bit disappointed <laughs> on where Andrew Kopp's going to be in, at the end of this year. Andrew, this is my problem with the Red Wings. They have very few players where I have want to hold them to a high level of expectations, and then I get disappointed. It's a gentle way to say this team still isn't full of talent. It's not like, okay, so let's look at like Toronto, for example. They're loaded with superstars, and expectations are sky high. So you have um, ways to measure performance and evaluate different players. With the Red Wings... I see a lot of the same guys. Yeah. I see a lot of the same guys who would do a lot of the same stuff at the same level. Some make more money. Some make less money. It's very difficult for me to say, the reason why the Red Wings aren't winning is because Andrew Kopp has 14 points on the season and has five goals. I mean, if Andrew Kopp had 10 points or 10 goals, that would certainly help, especially the last two games. To me, it's not one person's fault. It's a collective effort. If this team is going to be a depth team and they're going to win via depth, it's everybody or nobody's fault. Yeah. Look at the counter argument there would be look at Edmonton. If they don't have Leon Dreisaitl and, and Connor McDavid going every single night, they have no chance. The Red Wings aren't that team. They're the the opposite of, of that. You know, if one person's not going, the rest of the team picks up the slack and keeps pulling the wagon. So to blame to blame it on Patrick Kane, to blame it on Billy Husso, to blame it on Andrew Kopp, to blame it on uh Dylan Larkin being out of the lineup, although that definitely is an obvious yeah. point <laughs> sore, sore spot right now. You know, I think it's it's a fool's effort and you're just going to drive yourself mad trying to pinpoint where this is. For me, the identity of the Red Wings as they are constructed today, it's it's everybody or nobody. I, I think that's a perfect description of what you can expect from this team based on how they're composed. And, you know, once they get to uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs level of individual talent on the team, then, yeah, you can start to have different conversations. And I'm going to sound like a broken record. You can probably catch me saying this like once every three episodes. As a fan, never let someone tell you that you shouldn't have expectations or you shouldn't be upset when they lose or play poorly. You pay good money for your tickets. You pay good money for— You want to boo Jordan Cairo, you boo him. Oh, and I have some feelings on that. Like, it is okay for Red Wings fans to say, wow, this rebuild sucks, and I hate watching They're them lose. They're not wrong. No, you're not wrong. And if you want to criticize Andrew Kopp and, and whatever, that is absolutely your right as a fan. It's what you should be doing if you feel like the, the team isn't delivering what you feel they should be delivering. What I'm saying is I, I think that just the general conversation is is piling on him a little bit because he's an easy scapegoat because he isn't playing well compared to his contract. And I just think it's not so black and white, and I just want to call some attention to it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, fan bases always seem to find the one guy or a couple guys that they can all jump on. So we're guilty of it too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like me and you, we just pile on Brad all the time, and that's because he deserves it. And he's weird looking. Exactly. It's so easy to punch down. Um, 
I had a, I had a point, but now I don't remember what it was. You dazzled yourself with another brilliant short. Yeah, pun. that's right. Uh, yeah, it's gone. We can move along. Here we go. That's staying in because that's. Oh, I don't care. That's raw. That's that's pure. Just Ryan Evan riffing content right that's there. That's right. That's right. On a more positive note, there was a quick piece put together by I believe it was the NHL Zone. I saw the tweet and I, I took a quick read. They compiled some stats based on TNT viewership uh, games that the Red Wings played and. The Red Wings are one of the most watched teams in the league based on four nationally televised games. So I quote from the article, in total, the Red Wings have had four nationally televised games so far this season with an average of 654,000 viewers per game, which makes them the most watched NHL team through the first two months of the season. And those were previous games against uh, Pittsburgh and the Rangers and so on and so forth. I've said before, and I'll say again, the league is better when the Red Wings are good. Like when the Red Wings are relevant, the NHL is better for it. And I mean in terms of, you know, that's one of the biggest and most hockey-wise fan bases in the league. I would say the most hockey-wise fan base in the league is the Red Wings. The team who throughout all of the, you know, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, and even beyond was probably the most well-traveled fan base. You had fans living all across North America. You had fans traveling all across North America was the Red Wings. You go to a game at the Joe previously or the LCA now, watch how the, the fans react to the game compared to a, a newer team. And it's not knocking, you know, Florida, for example, or Vegas to go even more recent. But Red Wings fans genuinely understand the game. They're more invested. They always say Detroit's a hockey town. The league is better for it. They're better for it financially. It's why they leaned on Chicago so much because that's an original six team and they had that's a major metropolitan market. And when they were good, that it's it's a money printer. That's what you do. So to me, I was unsurprised reading that to say once the Red Wings put a product out there that was even remotely interesting to watch, like people are pining to be able to to talk about the Red Wings in a way that they were able to in the 90s and the 2000s again. Now, I guess my sort of thoughts on the data are are the Red Wings the team that have played the most nationally televised games maybe but like you even look at the averages like those games drew quite a few viewers compared to what was previously like a, a Detroit Pittsburgh game that I'm sorry I, I understand the appeal of those two teams like they have individual players Crosby ha- is having himself an amazing season but those games were like they did it extremely well from one of the tweets Pittsburgh Detroit was TNT's most watched weeknight regular season game ever outside of opening night. That's not nothing. It's a very narrow metric. Like, that's not a lane that's going to have a lot of competitors, especially because TNT's only had, what, the second season now. But Mm -hmm. still, they're doing well, and Pittsburgh's not at the top of the league. My second point was going to be, what teams did the Red Wings play that also have high viewership that led to this? high viewership? Yeah, you know. Pittsburgh would be one of those teams. The Rangers game and and what have you. So I understand it's just... These aren't the Red Wings of old where they're duds. And well, the Red Wings also, like, I will say this with air quotes, won the Patrick Kane sweepstakes, yep. which was nonstop news cycle for, like, a good month. His name is still in a lot of people's mouths. And the Red Wing, not Will Smith's. Um, <laughs> and the Red Wings also got Alex Debrinkit, which was the big move of the offseason. So the Red Wings have had a lot more storylines than a lot of teams have had. Yeah. And thus, I can understand why the Red Wings would be the most watched team. They just had a lot going for them lately. Yeah. It, it's a lot of, you're right. It is a lot of just like circumstance leading to it. But 
I maintain what I said. The league is better for it when the Red Wings are good and they're relevant. All right. Let's jump into some NHL news. Actually, very quickly, Trey Augustine named to the American World Junior team. Unsurprisingly, but exciting to see. I think he was their starter last year or won the starting job. So that's really not surprising to me. I figured it would be his uh, his position to lose. But yeah, always a good sign when Red Wings prospects are making the making development leaps. And that's a tough tournament for a goalie generally. It's a I think the I think the USA is absolutely loaded from they, what I could see from their camp invites. Yeah, that's a that's a strong roster. Yeah, they are going to light up a few of the lower they might light up a lot of teams, not just the lower level teams. As Brian Burke would put it, uh, Bulgaria and Antarctica. I think I saw something that Kazakhstan qualified for the next World Juniors or something. So good for them, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the U.S. or Canada are on a downturn that year because the U.S. roster looked scary. All right, some NHL news. Speaking of what makes the NHL better, Connor McDavid is firmly back and healthy. He has scored seven trillion points in his last four games. I think he went from like, in like a nine days, went from like 63rd in league scoring to like top 10 or something like that. He is currently one, two, three, four, fifth in points, 41 points. He was not like, his game log is absolutely absurd. He, at one point in like a, a small game stretch, like seven or eight games, he was averaging two and a half points a game. That is literally absurd. I know this happens all the time, but when Connor McDavid wasn't healthy, everyone was like, oh, is he still the best player on the planet? Is he going to win the Hart Trophy this year? The first one's not a question. Like, to put it in the words of Evan, you're an idiot if you think Connor McDavid is not the best hockey player on the planet. Is he going to win the Hart this year? I think if he comes back and blows everyone out of the water. He keeps doing this. Yeah. I think the Steve Dangle podcast talked about he might get to 1,000 career points this season. Like, right now he has 891 points. He might score 109 over the rest. It's not impossible. <laughs> That's not, uh, I've, I'm done saying things are unpo- uh, impossible. Im- <laughs> Me fail English? English? <laughs> <laughs> I always say impossible around Catherine just because it drives her nuts. So now it's on the podcast. I've, I am done saying things are impossible for Connor McDavid because he continues to rewrite his own expectations. It's. I understand he's not playing on the Red Wings, but what a fun player to watch, man! It's not like a. The league is better when Connor McDavid is playing at full health. Also, it, like Edmonton should be in the playoffs based on the roster, so I hope they figure it out, and get it in. It is way. It is a lot of fun when Edmonton is on fire, though. Keeps the rest of us in Canada a little bit warmer in the winter. Yeah, it's. You watch them, burn like every Canadian market does, and you're like, oh. It's fun to think about what Connor McDavid leaves and what team is he going to go to, and then you get scared because you're like, "Ooh, is it the Leafs?" But then you don't think about that too much. Did you uh, also see that uh, Ryan Lindgren is having literally the worst week of oh of hockey God. life? He and David Pasternak officially has escaped suspension for that hit he laid on. I uh, thought, Lindgren. yeah, I didn't think it needed a suspension. I thought the the punishment in game was appropriate, but he drilled him. Uh, a People were saying that there is uh, some beef between the two of them uh, that's, you know, been kind of existed over the past few years, which I was shocked to find out. But yeah, that was, <laughs> he he was not playing the puck on that play. That was for sure. Mark Mathot, former NHLer, so his opinion is good. And he's a the kind of guy who got to the dirty areas and played a tough game. And 
he tweeted out something, and this was before I saw the hit. He tweeted out that there's a uh, an epidemic of players not protecting themselves properly and they're putting themselves in bad positions. And I 100% agree in that. I read that and I'm like, I agree. I try not to be too much like, oh, old rock'em sock'em hockey that you and I grew up with is the way it should be. I understand the game has changed, but I do think players now are, are not protecting themselves well enough. And too many times when you should have just been able to brace and absorb a hit, they put themselves in a position where the player either has to let off and let them have a free play or they drill them into the boards when it shouldn't have gone that way. And then I saw the hit. I went, okay, Mark, but that wasn't that, right? Like, not not that one. Maybe <laughs> that up. is what spurred the thought and the overarching conversation, but that is not the poster for your argument. No. That was numbers all the way, and David Pasternak just absolutely pasted it, <laughs> so... Lindgren, into the boards. Poor Lindgren. I'm sure the next day he went out and slipped on his front doorstep and got, you know, his car got rear-ended his neighbor week. too. My God. Yeah, it's also, Pasta's no stranger to, it's kind of, not the same player, but people think of the the Pasternak's and the Kucherov's as like, oh, they put up a trillion points and that's what they are. They'll get their elbows up. Oh yeah, they've they all got a little Malkin in them too. You don't have perennial success without, you know, blooding a few mouths, getting your elbows up, digging people in the ribs. Like that's you can't be soft in the NHL. Even no. the softest guy in the NHL would pump everybody's eyes shut in the general public. Yeah. So people in the if players in the NHL know you're soft, they will exploit it and take advantage of you. Totally. So the top guys are, you know, just as much in the in the shit as everybody else. Speaking of rough and tumble hockey, you'll remember Truba. And his two-handed whack to Frederick's head. Yep. I really liked what happened after. And again, I'm just aging myself here in terms of the, the kind of hockey that I grew up with. You, you watch the rough and tumble days of, you know, the hockey we grew up with. That's what I'll call it. The I, ni- everybody, I'd say most of our podcast listeners have watched the 90s hockey. Yeah. The, You're speaking to Red Wings fans. They yeah. Literally had the most very, goalie fights in franchise history. Darren McCarty is scored one of the nicest cup winning goals of all time, and that's not what he's best known for. Yeah. So the the he Truba hit Frederick in the head two-handed with the stick, whatever. There was that whole thing of was it intentional or not, et cetera, et cetera. Frederick wanted to go with Truba the next time they played or the next time he had the opportunity. Truba answered the bell. They fought. Not much happened. They went down after the game. Truba said, if I got hit in the head with a stick like that, I'd probably want to fight too. You answer the bell. You move on. Frederick said, yep, I wanted to go with him. He answered the bell. I really respect that. You move on. That's how it should be. That's gentlemen. As much as people are going to hate what I'm about to say, that's a violent gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. He's right. <laughs> but that like that is when you when you talk about what's the code, the code is a fleeting thing that people use to to push their own argument here or there in terms of, of violence and hockey. But that is one of the only solid examples of the code. When you do something like that, you have to answer the bell. And it's not like Frederick's going up against Nathan Gerby. He's fighting a mutant yeah. in Truba. So, you know, it takes a lot of a lot of stones to to square up with a guy like that. And Truba doesn't need to fight anybody. He's like, oh, I I got my fine. Why do I need to fight you? But there's that unwritten code that people like or dislike. And, you know, now it's done. Now it's done. Now no one, well, I mean, I shouldn't say no one's going to run Panarin. But, you know, in the eyes of, you know, public player courts, it, it's, it's resolved and everybody's moving on with their lives. 
and the game play is played and like you said there's no more there's it's going to be rough and those two guys will probably go hard at each other I'm sure but it'll turn the temperature up in in between between those two teams going forward but it's not going to it's not going to be this like vindictive where someone gets assassination hurt in a bad way. yeah type game it'll just kind of it'll be a little bit more spicy but it's not going to be out of control that is what was missing from the cousins hit on good branson and what happened after good branson Tried wanted to, to go right after. Several times. Cousins turtled twice. You got to just, I, I think I said this with Brad, you just lay, you grab onto good Branson and, and you just lay back and let him swing a few times and you you grapple each other to the ground yeah. and it's done. Yeah, that's it. Like, oh, even at the first time, you see, you let's say he made the hit and it was just like you, you lose your mind for a second. You're like, oh, what hit did I just make? And you see a guy like good Branson coming at you and then you get scared and you turtle. I can forgive that once, but when the play comes down the ice later and, and you have an opportunity, like you clutch him close, you grab his forearms to try to mitigate how much he could uh, swing at you. Yeah. There's a lot that's wrong with physicality in the NHL today. We talked about it a little bit, you know, protecting yourself better. I think the Department of Player Safety does not actually protect players. I think there's a little bit of a loss of respect between players, and, and that's part of it, right? Like you got to answer the bell and just move on with the game. I'll always be against like head hunting and you know, you look at what Matt Cook did to Savard. Like that's the kind of stuff that I'm glad is disappearing from the game. Yeah. But when you look at oh old school hockey, what do you want to see back between Truba and Frederick? I was like, that like you don't want to see what Truba did happen ever, of course. That was dumb. And I do think he got off light, but what happened afterwards, that's how you handle it. Yeah. And I think that actually reduces the amount of stupid plays. And dangerous plays that happen. Yeah. Because to be quite frank, there aren't a lot of suspensions coming out of these dangerous plays. And I'm shocked we aren't seeing serious, serious injuries. Like the fact that no one has become paralyzed at the NHL level in the last, I don't know, however long you want to say is an absolute miracle given how fast, how big and strong these guys are and how dangerous some of these plays are becoming. Yeah. Speaking of weird and maybe stupid, I don't know. After Craig Berube got fired by St. Louis, there were some comments that were put out. J.P. Rutherford tweeted out some comments uh, from Kairou based on, you know, comments on on Berube being fired. And Kairou said something to the effect of, I don't have any comment. He's not my coach anymore. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I he, think that is a comment, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to read too far between the lines, and you have the added context of Kairou as a player that Barube really kind of drilled to to get going a lot. Kairou's not had a, you know, the smoothest experience in terms of his presence on the team and what they expect from him. He's not having the best season. Barube was also the coach to bring St. Louis their Stanley Cup, so pretty beloved there. And I think the resounding opinion has been it wasn't his fault, and they don't feel he should have been canned, or at least that's what I've seen a lot of from Blues fans. So Kairou put out that not statement. It was a pretty loud not statement. And then in the next game, during pregame warm-up, and every time he touched the puck, he got booed by St. Louis fans. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I, that's a lot to boo one of your own star players. He's having a bad season, but like you talk about smart fan bases. The Blues have been around for a while. They understand the game. They understand the, the emotion behind it and the context. And Kairou, after the game, had a pretty emotional interview where he was getting choked up. Like, obviously, it sucks to get booed by your by your own team as uh, their fans. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I understand everyone's perspective here. I'm yeah. sorry, Kairu, but you cannot, 
you want to put out that statement because you hated your old boss and you guys didn't get along, all the power to you. I'm, I wouldn't say I'd be better in that situation. He just got canned. You said as much as you could without saying too much. Sure. But you're going to put out that statement. You've got to wear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to put myself in this position because the fans do not get to see the a lot or almost all of the closed door inner workings of an NHL team and the day to day like yeah coaches let's talk let's like John Tortorella for example Rasmus Ristolainen probably loves John Tortorella oh my god what a turnaround he's had you know who probably would hate John Tortorella Johnny Goudreau <laughs> different guys have different relationships with coaches and it's very clear that Kairu had a very different relationship to Craig Berube than what the f- fans impression is of Berube. Yeah. hundred like, percent. He's obviously a real, you know, lunch pail, meat and potatoes type coach. What you get is what you see. He's, you know, all about the players and all that. And they want to Stanley cup with him. So I can understand why fans would be endeared to Craig Berube, but man, if you're a star player and you don't like your coach, like, it's it's way different than what the fans think. And, you know, Kairu clearly did not enjoy his, uh, Berube's tenureship. So if he's going to put out a statement like that, yeah, you're going to hear some boo birds and, you know, people can always be all poopy pants about fans booing their team. But, you know, you pay that kind of money to, to watch an NHL game, you can do whatever the hell you want, in my opinion. I don't... It's hard to feel bad for anyone in this situation. It's just a very, you know, weird weird thing to react to like as a like a like since we're totally unrelated to the situation i just thought it was funny uh yeah it's it's <laughs> it did turn out well because I'm he got a standing to... ovation after scoring a massive goal and the, yeah he made yeah. made amends with the blues crowd and... yeah and i'm trying to like put it in red wings perspective and i'm like yeah everybody kind of like hated mike ba- oh everyone did hate hate mike babcock by the end but you want to stanley cup with him but you didn't have publicly Henrik Zetterberg being like, yeah, no comment. He's not my coach anymore. It all kind of came out years later or trickled out over the years. So it's really hard to have a Red Wings lens on this, but Henrik Zetterberg won the gritting your teeth through the pain competition for several years there. Yeah. He had to get veneers because of that. So <laughs> yeah, a very strange situation in St. Louis, but it looks like it's kind of all mended itself over the weekend. Yeah. It, it again, it is, it is a little bit of a peculiar one, but I've played, I've had coaches that I do not resonate with at all. And we would literally yell at each other on the bench yeah. in front of everyone. And I'm thinking if he got fired, I would say probably worse than Jordan Cairo if that was my a similar relationship to what they have. So he put out a very strong no comment comment. And that would be better than what I would have been able to come up with. One last note here. In a year where it's really weird for goalies, you saw Jack Campbell get waves sent down by Edmonton in his big contract, and not as sizable of a contract, of course, but Antti Ranta in Carolina waved, cleared. It's a weird year for goalies, and teams are starting to understand that if a goalie's not performing, you have to move on a little bit sooner than, than just hang on forever. So, for And he was emotional about that. Like That was a big shock trying to get him going. So... He got waived, cleared, of course, because no one's going to pick up a 34-year-old goaltender who's not performing right now. Teams are still budget-strapped, and yeah, he got sent down. Yeah, I was when I saw that, I was like, Auntie Ranta, that that's the right guy. I'm talking. I'm 
they're naming, right? And I was shocked to see that too. And it, apparently the entire team was as well. But Carolina's the uh, needs that kind of shot in the arm right now yeah. because they are not where they should be. They have not looked like the Carolina Hurricanes of old and how everyone projected them to be this year. So if this is what kind of lights a fire under their ass, then I, that was the price they were willing to pay. All right. Let's jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to know how we host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and the Grand Rapids Griffins, it's because of our patrons. How we support the Jamie Daniels Foundation is because of our patrons. How we continue to grow the show and put out more content, it's all because of our Patreon supporters. You get access to benefits like the Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is an uh, amazing community. Not only do you get to hang out and talk about hockey and everything else with other Winged Wheel podcasts and Red Wings fans, you also get a lot more more access to Evan than I think anyone else in the world has in any way, and I also mean his wife probably. You also get entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to all of our bonus overtime content. We record the overtime Bonus episodes, any questions that aren't right out in the main show directly after these episodes, and we'll put them out there for our patrons. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, Miss Days says, ignoring the Larkin injury, this team is terrible in transition, offense, and defense. We give up the most, we must give up the most breakaways and odd man rushes in the entire NHL. They, that's like Detroit has struggled in rush defense for a long time now. Will they really not call up Edmondson without injuries on the back end? How bad do we have to be to give him a shot otherwise? For all the talk about competing for a spot, our D structure is not good enough and a large part of it is personnel. It's not been a secret on this show. Like my opinion, my stance, and I think it's shared by Brad and you, Evan, to some degree at least, that I understand it's not always ideal to bring up Edmondson because the team is going too well or things are going too poorly and you don't want to get him shelled. But at some point, you have to see what you have. And even if he's not perfect, and even if his decision-making isn't always the best, and you want to refine one thing or another, the bottom of this defense is making the same mistakes right now without the added benefit of developing a future star, hopefully, or they have the offensive ability. I understand you can get away with Wallman Insider eating a lot of minutes, Goss Bear hopefully having a good night, and Sherratt, you know, holding steady, which he's been doing this season, but so many preventable mistakes in my mind have come for the defense. So I'm of the same mind. I think he should be up already. Yeah. I mean, if the Red Wings are going to say that they're pushing for the playoff spot, a playoff spot, and I would, I think it's a very objective statement that Simon Edmondson would be a positive add to the team to achieve that goal. So you got you got to have the best players in the lineup, and I think you can work around the roster after that. You can figure out what to do with Hall, Petrie, Mata. Uh, at this point, I would say Sherratt's staying in the lineup for sure, barring injury or some extremely poor play, but I haven't seen bad enough play from him this year that I would be on board with that. Yeah, I think Edvinson's time is now. He's been on a bit of a huge heater I can't remember if we talked about that last episode or not. So confidence is at an all-time high, and that's a great time to bring a guy up and see what he's made of because can you imagine bringing him up if he had no points in his last 10? Like, how are you setting him up for success like that? I think right now, if when he's on this hot streak, the message is very clear. You know, you have earned this roster spot. We did not plan on calling you up right now, but you have proven to us that you deserve to be in the NHL. Let's see what you can do. And 
setting a guy up like that, I, I think, kind of makes the sky the limit. All right, next question here from Uper in the D. Actually, let's take this one from Stu Pedasso. I know what you did there, but I thought I'd read it out anyways. It says, hockey is not good, but I digress. Ryan, did you use a square toe because of the Eastern Shanahan curve, perchance? No, I actually, when I played, I was small, like I was a small kid, and my shot wasn't good, like because I was weak. Like I could have a decent wrister, but I from the blue line, I wasn't sniping from the blue line, and God help me on my slap shot. I was just too weak to really do it. So I prioritized with my stick blade the squared off toe to jam it up against the board to collect pucks coming over, to, to keep the blue line, essentially. I really liked it, and that curve that I had specifically was also decent for stick handling. But the Shanahan crossover there is uh, is just coincidence. They want to say pretty much what Kane uses with less curve, but I digress. I just found a relic in my pa- parents' garage, a Tricore 3 with an Easton Z-Tac Shanahan blade. What a twig. I was but dust as a young lad, regardless, but I digress. Think they're making a point with the I digress thing? Yeah, maybe. What did Brad used to say? Grandiose? Yeah, we had to get him off grandiose for a while. Uh, His vocabulary's come a long way, though. Yeah, it definitely has. He's like mo- mine's gone the other way. <laughs> That's right. He's absorbing your powers. Brad's the most learned man from him, whatever village he came from. That is very true. Youper in the D says, what happens now that we have arrived at another depressing December? If we don't come up out of this slump, what options are we likely to take before the trade deadline? Are we buyers or sellers, or do we stand pat? Who is most likely to be part of a deal? I would say treat what's happening now as more of the natural ebbs and flows of the season. Like, it's still early. What like, When we take a retrospective of December, maybe we'll have a clearer look, but I would say let's not jump too far ahead at the moment. What's going to happen at the deadline? I struggle to see us selling unless things go completely off the rails and someone offers us a fortune for Goss Spare, for example. The Red Wings were considering themselves a playoff team and not selling up until the Ottawa games last year. And that was like a week before the trade deadline. So to even think about it right now in December is a little, is very early for me. Yeah, this is just part of the learning curve of of trying to be a playoff contender. Not that kind of hockey says I'm a total NHL noob, so my question is related to the game schedule. Who decides it and why are there no regular schedules like the German Bundesliga and other professional sports leagues? Thanks, guys, for sharing the current pain about Lion and Co. Have a good week. So if you want to know who really determines NHL schedules, there's a, a scheduler and they work closely with the teams in the league, but the real determinants of the NHL schedules is other sports teams and concerts. Pretty much. The NHL is so far down the order of priority and the amount of times where the NHL has been, you know, pushed aside or has to take an unideal slot because they don't want to compete with college football or uh, a shared, like the the basketball team that they share an arena with, for example, is, is playing that night. Whatever it might be, like they have to work with 32 markets and understand what days their home arena is actually available. And if they need a date and there's, you know, Taylor Swift is coming in town. The Beatles cover band had a big uh, ticket sale night that night, so the Red Wings couldn't play. It's a tough ask a lot of the times. They're just really far down the order that way, and it's the unfortunate reality. You want to look at 2009 where Detroit essentially had to play their home games on a back-to-back or whatever that was. Like That was because of a talk show, I believe, a late-night show and, and scheduling with NBC and everything. Like It's stupid how much hockey scheduling is affected by other people. But Technically, it's decided by the scheduler in their office. and The fact that we even get a schedule as remotely operational as the one we have, it's a miracle. I cannot imagine the amount of constraints they have to work through. Yeah. 
Udalali says, with seven games left in December, what do you each think the Wings will snag out of the remaining 14 points enough to stay competitive? Can you tell me the teams? It's Anaheim, Winnipeg. Philly. Philly, New Jersey. Minnesota, Nashville, Boston. That's not easy. No, but you know what? Damn it, we beat Boston once, we'll beat them again. I think if they walk away with... I'll, I'll... I'll say it might be generous to do it, but I'll give them half of those points. I'll give them seven. You're thinking they in three wins in an OT loss or something. So you're thinking that maybe, okay, maybe okay. Minnesota, maybe at home against Philly, and then let's say Nashville at home, hypothetically. There's always going to be a dumb game that they win that they didn't deserve to or they shouldn't on paper, and there's going to be one that they lose that they shouldn't on paper. I'll say based on how the start of December has gone, if they go anything eight points or over, I'm happy. Yeah, I was leaning in the seven, eight points, you know, around 500 to stay afloat in the Eastern Conference right now in the wildcard race. Eight points and up would be, we have righted the ship. My confidence is back. Yeah. Last comment here from Stay Fresh Cheese Bag says, hey there, fellas, the vibes are the vibes. Should we expect anything different? No, ebbs and flows. Got any thoughts about Scott Darling ripping apart the player assistance program? I'm not sure if this is indicative of his isolated experience or a deeper, more disturbing trend. So his comments were notable. I remember sending them to a few people and I don't want to uh, discredit them because what he said was big. That's not nothing to say, have a former NHLer who went through the program who's telling current NHLers, hey, don't do this. If you want help, seek it out on your own. What I will say is one, I don't know his personal experience. And two, it is not uncommon, and I'm not a professional, but it is not uncommon for people in his position who are in the program to really severely dislike being in it. I thought that was sort of, and this is, I have known no one who's ever been in an assistance program, so it's a very naive take on it all. But I figured it wouldn't be, you know, uh, like I figured you would hate it. Yeah. That's kind of like, you know what you're turbulent time you're in for but it's better than your current route that you're going down in life yeah it's really impossible to speculate on unless you know what he went through specifically like one small clip it's a powerful thing like if he's saying that like that's not nothing so that's out there but yeah it's not it's not uncommon for people who are in assistance programs like that to really you know you're in your employer's player assistance program so there are implications there of like, you might lose your job if you don't do what they tell you to do. That's yeah. a reality of it. And from the outside, you're like, well, that makes sense. And from the inside, that can feel way different. Without knowing the specifics of it, yeah, I don't know. But as always, we'll always advocate for people to get the help that they want. Frankly, if they choose to go, I don't think his advice is necessarily bad, like pay for your own help or do it like quiet. Like however you want to get help, by all means, I'm happy to see a trend of players seeking out getting help more so. And I'm sure the NHL players assistance program isn't the be all and end all for everyone. Like everyone has their own route for recovery or getting through things. So, yeah. You know, that could be Scott Darling's perspective on it. It's yeah, it's impossible to speculate that he just came out very strong yeah. in his opinions of it. And then says shout out to Ovechkin in his checks notes, five goals. Yikes, stay fresh cheese bags. Oh, like do you buy the whole Ovi might not actually get the goal record? conversation now i mean everyone is always way too reactionary to short-term things ov could still you know just go on an ov tear and 
it could it could he could be right back in that conversation. So I don't know. He's sixty seven goals back. Like I, I still think he gets it. That's not that far. No. If he has to play, I don't think he's always going to be this cold. If Father Time is catching up, that's not. Mo Sider has as many goals as Alex Ovechkin does on the year. Well, and we can expect Mo Sider to be there. Rasmussen has two more goals. That's unbelievable. Rasm- I know we talked about it last episode, but Rasmussen has been much better lately. He has exactly the same number of points as Andrew Cobb. <laughs> and two Consid- more goals. Considering this episode, that's actually hysterical context. Okay. We're going to wrap this one up and jump into our Patreon exclusive overtime. Thank you folks so very much uh, for being part of this podcast community and listening to the show. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're a listener of old, thank you so much for sticking with us and tuning into the Winged Wheel podcast. Shout out to Labatt Blue Light for sponsoring this episode and to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name level patrons. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scobie, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, G.O.D. Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassan Malkasem, I score goals and I get injured and I'm all out of goals, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon, Father of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Mike Hawk, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, Zarniak and Huso, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, AB, Adam Rose, Axels, Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buff Chest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, D Boss, Snip Show, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Gotta Set the Tone, Boys, Gotta Set the Tone. Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, my least favorite patron, Reed. Aw, Reed. Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Thursday. Last one before the holidays. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.